Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Have you thought about putting a basement apartment in your home? Did the Ford government bend the rules for greenbelt development? Rising food prices, creating more anger. What a return for the Buffalo Bills. What's in store for the local real estate market this year? And I bring you a list of rejected vanity license plates. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Maybe our next guest will change your mind about whether or not you want to put in a basement apartment or build a laneway home, or at least utilize that for a legal second suite. His name is Ken Beckendam. He's the founder of LegalSecondSuites.com, also the sponsor of Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. And Ken joins me in studio. Good morning. Happy New Year. Good morning, Rick. It's great to be here this morning. I got to ask you about Legal Second Suites because the timing couldn't be perfect for this entity to explode. Tell us what you're all about. So our company, so we started a number of years ago and we go out there and we help homeowners create legal suites in their houses. Mm -hmm. Many of us have seen in different real estate listings, you know, an in-law suite. Uh, While oftentimes those are actually not legal apartments. Um, And so what we do is we go out there and we advise homeowners on how to go about and make it an actual legal living space, a legal secondary apartment in their homes. What percentage of illegal second suites would you encounter is more often than not? Well, so um, up until recently, um, with the recent zoning changes, a lot of the stuff that we saw previously, the vast majority of them were not legal um, because we didn't have the proper zoning bylaws in place. Now, with uh, the recent changes from the province um, and the municipalities making all the changes, a lot of the ones that are happening know recently have all been done legally Um, but there's still a lot of them out there that are not legal Mm. Um, and so it's important for homeowners to know um, you know it's very important for homeowners to know how to look at the space and figure out if it's legal or not and so this is where we come in all right so you can also and uh, you as a listener have an opportunity to ask Ken a question about uh, legal second suite you can call or text your question 905-645-3221 you can also use your cell phone at star 9900 or send me an email rick at 900chml.com so what is considered a legal second suite you reference basement apartments i referenced a laneway house could can they all be in that same category yeah like there's a lot of different terminology out there about these types of spaces you know we hear laneway houses we hear coach houses garden suites uh secondary dwelling units additional dwelling units. there's lots of different terms and that really goes back to the individual municipality and what they're calling them here in hamilton uh they're called secondary dwelling units secondary dwelling unit detached or an additional dwelling unit. And basically what it is, is, you know, in order for it to be legal, uh, the space to be legal, it's got to be legal both with the zoning bylaw and also with minimum Ontario building code requirements. Mm. So it's got to be legal with both. Uh, Are we seeing more and more of these pop up? Um, yeah, like as as the housing supply, you know, uh, worsens, um, we're seeing definitely uh, more of a need and a desire to add these types of units into our existing housing supply. And it's great because it's a great way of adding gentle density into our existing neighborhoods. It's mm-hmm. making very good use of existing infrastructure. Um, you know, for, for a city to expand and create new roads, new sewers, new sidewalks, um, that's very costly. And it's actually very costly to maintain. And that goes on to the taxpayer. So when we um, add more units into our existing neighborhoods, into our existing uh, housing supply, it's really making our tax dollars go a lot further. 
We're up against our first break. Coming up in mere minutes, Ken will tell you some of the things you should consider when looking to add a unit to your home or property. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Talking about legal second suites, basement apartments, laneway homes, uh, coach uh, homes as well. Ken Beckendam is the founder of LegalSecondSuites.com, joining me in studio. And this is a good time for people to book a consultation to get more information on what you guys do. Yeah, if people go to our website, LegalSecondSuites.com, uh, they can easily uh, click a link and just book a consultation with us. And basically, you know, we're doing consults all week long. We do, you know, eight to 10 consults a week. Um, where we, you know, we discuss with homeowners about their space that they want to potentially convert. And we basically walk them through the process and we help them identify key things that they need to be looking for in order to convert their space legally. What are some of those things they should be looking at? The biggest one really, especially if people want to convert a, a basement space, which is oftentimes the, you know, the first space that we look at is, mm-hmm. is the basement, um, is, is really key is our basement ceiling height. Because there are certain minimum Ontario building code requirements that we do need to meet. Because if we can't meet them, we won't be able to get a building permit. Um, And so the key key dimension uh, that we need is our ceiling height. So here in Hamilton, Hamilton accepts 6 foot 5 inches, 77 inches finished for at least 50% of that ceiling area. Mm. Um, And then a minimum height of 6 foot 1 um, which is 73 inches underneath a bulkhead. So that's that's pretty Hamilton specific because that is a national building code requirement that Hamilton is accepting. Uh, and now the municipalities out there, um, the, the heights are higher. They're at the Ontario building code height, which is higher, uh, which in a, in a basement would be 80 inches, okay, six foot eight inches uh, for the main height. Um, and six foot five, 77 inches underneath the bulkhead. So that's in the vast majority of the municipalities here in Ontario. Mm-hmm. But Hamilton specifically is allowing those lower ceiling heights, which is great because, yeah. you know, a lot of these older homes, especially in the downtown areas where we have, you know, we typically have lower ceiling heights, it, uh, it does allow a lot more of these spaces to be converted legally without a lot of extra work to lower the basement floor. I would assume that when you are uh, having those consultations with uh, interested individuals is that the cost usually comes up. What is the average cost to convert uh, an apartment or a garage or, or a, a coach home into a legal second suite? Yeah, it's really, you know, it's construction. Right. So it's still a lot of the cost is dependent on scope of work and what's what's the particular space that you're working on. You know, if we have an unfinished basement, so concrete floor, you know, foundation wall, mm-hmm. unfinished ceiling, you know, uh, to, to do like a nice two bedroom apartment, you know, you're really you're really minimum 80,000 to maybe 120,000, depending if you undertake the work yourself or if you're hiring it all out to to trades, right. you know, um, if we have an existing finished basement that was constructed well, you know, it may not be that expensive. You could maybe legalize it for maybe thirty thousand, forty thousand. Uh, you know, if you have to do some fire separation work or mm-hmm. add a window or smoke detectors, but every space is different, and so. And every scope of work is going to be slightly different. So your cost structure can range. Joining us in studio here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ken Beckendam, the founder of Legal Second Suites. You can check them out online at LegalSecondSuites.com and book a consultation to find out whether your home is ideal for a Legal Second Suite. What is the most common question you do get when people are thinking about this in their mind? Um, Well, the most common question is, you know, 
is it actually allowed at my property? Oh, okay. Right? Is 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 it feasible? You know? Um, and so this is where we come in. We actually check into the zoning bylaw of your particular property. Uh, and we, we confirm via the zoning that it is a permitted use, that we are allowed to add a unit here. Uh, from there, you know, we're looking through the, the different zoning requirements. You know, if there's parking involved, is there, is there a minimum unit size or what have you? Here in Hamilton, uh, you know, there is no minimum uh, unit size mm-hmm. for these units. Uh, especially for an interior unit, like a basement apartment. Um, and you know, recently, uh, there's no parking requirements anymore. So, you know, parking oftentimes was a more, a more difficult thing to achieve, especially uh, if we have a smaller lot. Um, and that, you know, oftentimes did lead to a minor variance. Um, however, you know, with the recent changes that Hamilton has made, it's made it a lot easier for people to do it and be able to do it as of right, um, which, which is fantastic. It kind of opens the door to so many more homeowners for being sure. able to add these units. We've got about 30 seconds. Are garage units maybe the next big thing? Yeah, like garage units is it's another opportunity that people have to convert a garage that they're otherwise not using. Some like a lot of people do use their garages oftentimes just to store junk, mm-hmm, you know. That's me. Um, <laughs> but there's lots of people who have these spaces, the, these garage, well-built garages in their in their backyards that they're just they're not using. They're simply not using them. And these are great opportunities for people to actually make that into an actual living space for somebody. Um, and it could be a relatively affordable place for somebody to live because typically they're a, a smaller unit, yeah. like a nice little bachelor or a one bed. And so that's, yeah, look, we're not going to be seeing them everywhere just because frankly, not everybody's going to be converting their garages, right. yeah. but it's, it's, it's a great way for people to, to add a unit. Absolutely. If you want more information, give Ken and his team a call and visit their website at LegalSecondSuites.com and uh, an extra source of revenue. You're helping uh, solve the housing crisis in the same light. Ken, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. That is Ken Beckendam, the founder of LegalSecondSuites.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Unequivocally, we won't touch the green belt. Uh, unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you. You don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. Well, things have certainly changed since uh, Premier Ford made that statement uh, now almost five years ago. OPP now trying to determine whether to launch an investigation into the Ford government's controversial decision to open up part of Ontario's Greenbelt for development. Here to chime in on this situation is Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News, and he joins us now. Colin, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Hey, good morning and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. What are you hearing on this uh, on this front? Well, the OPP seems to have started their preliminary investigation, and that basically means they're talking to the complainants to see what their evidence is, what their complaint is, and to see whether there is enough to warrant a full-blown investigation. So what the OPP is doing right now is not the investigation itself. It's just that, you know, the preliminary work to determine whether there are enough strings to pull there uh, for them to kind of dedicate the time and the resources from the anti-rackets division to actually launch an investigation. And this all comes from complaints from environmental groups who are intimating that there were some developers, or at least one developer, who scooped up some greenbelt land before the government even announced that it was opening up. 
And none of the groups that have made any kind of complaints, to our knowledge, have any direct um, evidence to of any wrongdoing here. Uh, but there is a lot of suspicion about what may or may not have happened. Uh, the big question is, did any of these developers, these 15 parcels of land that were removed from the Greenbelt and owned by developers, did those developers know ahead of time that the government was going to be doing this? And, and the a lot, a lot of the suspicion kind of uh, falls on one particular property, uh, which was purchased by a developer just about a month or so before this decision was made public. So they bought this for you know a few hundred million dollars, uh, and they're now standing to make you know possibly billions of dollars once this development goes through. Why would somebody purchase land from the green belt that couldn't be developed on just a month? before and then a month later all of a sudden that uh, that gamble pays off that is the central question here and a number of these groups including one person is a constitutional lawyer has made these complaints to the ford uh, to the opp colin demello is our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml colin is our queens park bureau chief at global news and we're talking about the ford government's controversial decision to open up part of the ontario green belt and how the opp is in a pre-investigative mode and whether or not any wrongdoing was done, has there been a response from the Premier's office? The Premier's office says to date that they have not been contacted by the OPP. That's the Premier's office and the government at large. Uh, they say no one has been contacted by the OPP. There has been no request for any documents or any evidence um, of anything. So uh, as of right now, there hasn't been any kind of contact. The, the Premier's office I don't think they even knew the extent of what the OPP may or may not be doing behind the scenes. Uh, if you take a look at past investigations, though, uh, you know, with the liberal gas plant scandal, you know, the OPP, if they in their quest for information and documents, uh, they will go pretty far with the uh, former liberal government. As an example, there were raids conducted on ministry offices uh, to try and uh, get information that may have been on government uh, computers. We later found out that you know, some members of the liberal government had been deleting and double deleting emails, wiping out hard drives. And it, you know, resulted in one person in that government actually spending some time in jail. So there is always, you know, what actually took place at the, at the very beginning and whether there is any cover up that the OPP will also uh, investigate. That's what happened with the former liberal government. Not sure, you know, exactly where they're going to go with this one. Do you have any guesstimate on the timeline here, if there is an investigation, when that might be launched? Well, the OPP wouldn't say to us, give us any details. They wouldn't even confirm much of anything. Uh, the most we know is from environmental defense. This is one of those advocacy groups that filed this initial complaint with the OPP. They were told that the OPP is taking this very seriously, that they received 13 complaints about this Greenbelt deal, and that the OPP is hoping by the end of January that they'll you know, come up with some conclusion in terms of whether to uh, launch a fuller investigation and then or whether to drop it. And then there are other questions as well. Uh, you know, one group, Democracy Watch, which focuses a lot on demo democratic issues, says the government should be, you know, appointing a third party uh, prosecutor, somebody from outside the province, uh, should this take a another step. So it's not 
you know, the OPP, which is directly employed by the province, or a crown prosecutor directly employed by the province investigating the government itself. It should be somebody outside of the province, which is the norm uh, in these types of investigations. But we're not just we're not there just yet. Well, our listeners can be rest assured that Colin DeMello will have his finger on the pulse. And when uh, this news breaks, if it breaks, Colin will have a full wrap on radio, online and TV as well. Colin, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. Uh, I should mention as well, Housing Minister Steve Clark has denied any wrongdoing and uh, refutes the accusations or the suggestions that there was anything wrongdoing and uh, saying that he met meets with developers all the time and he has followed all the rules. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Kind of a dramatic increase, unfortunately, that people are going to notice when they're in. And regardless of what category they're buying in, they're going to be paying more. Almost almost $1,100 more over the year. That is the voice of Janet Music from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Joining us uh, last month here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as she shed some light on Canada's food price report for 2023. And long story short, those food prices, as you know continue to go up and consumers now more than ever are showing their ire on social media over those continuously rising food prices. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is the food professor, professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Charlebois, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. You have seen these photos shared on social media showing the sky-high price of chicken, for example, and that's really, I think, helping fuel the anger of grocery shoppers about price gouging. Is there any evidence that this is happening? <laughs> well, if you ask Twitter, uh, my guess is that uh, you'll get a resounding yes. <laughs> but uh, when you look around, when you actually look at the data, it's hard to find any evidence of abuse, and uh, and frankly, uh, if you look at one-offs, one case, you may uh, find uh, a product uh, being overpriced, but uh, the reality is that uh, uh, when you walk into a grocery store, there's 18 to 20,000 different products. Some of them are very competitive, while others aren't, and uh, so we need to be very careful here. We've never... We haven't really found any evidence that there is there is abuse out there, but it's it's a it's a very it's a highly unpopular stance right now. Most people just don't believe it. Uh, chicken seems to have taken the spotlight away from other food categories. How is the price of chicken established, and and why is it so high? Well, so the one thing that people need to know is that. The, so that is that chicken is supply managed. We produce what we need in Canada. So farm gate prices, so the price that farmers get is actually regulated, covers their costs, uh, and uh, will make sure that they, they do uh, make a profit at the end of the year. So uh, chicken farmers are, are doing very well financially, and so they get their fair share. Same for eggs and dairy. Uh, now, of course, there's processing, distribution, and, and retail, uh, all of these components do actually take uh, uh, a, a, a profit as well. In retail, so when you go to the grocery store at the meat counter, if you see a price, y- you should expect the retailer to make about 40% off whatever you're buying, whether it's pork, beef, or, or chicken. However, 
However, there's lots of waste in retail, and people don't realize it as like everything that you buy that's fresh will provide a lot of money to the grocer, but there is a lot of waste, and there's a lot of products that are not aren't, aren't sold, and that's why often margins tend to be anywhere between two to four percent because of course there's lots of inefficiencies in the system. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is the food professor, the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton and 900 CHML. In 10 minutes' time, we're going to open up the phone and text line and get your opinion on rising food prices and how you have perhaps changed your shopping habits. Um, factors that have pushed food prices higher include uh, the war in Ukraine, supply chain issues, the pandemic, of course, rising inflation. Can we expect one or any of these factors to change in 2023? Well, unfortunately, so we, we uh, released Canada's food price report in December, uh, and we were announcing at the time that uh, food prices would go up by anywhere between 5 to 7% in 2023, which means for a family of four, you're expected to pay an extra 1000 uh this year. So not, not great news, but the bulk of the bulk of the increase will actually happen before the summer, we feel. And so after the summer, things will calm down. Um, so far, uh, the cane dollar has actually helped importers, so that's certainly good news. Uh, that's going to help us at, in the produce section, for example, uh, in the middle of the store where there's a lot of imported products. So sh- things should be at least under control. But it's going to be a better year than 2022, Uh we're, we finished off 2022 with, an, with a food inflation rate of 10.3%, which is huge. <laughs> uh, and the food inflation rate exceeded the general inflation rate for the entire year. That's not going to happen in 2023. That's some good news. Uh, still on the uh, the greedflation front, if you will, um, yep. there was a list of top-earning CEOs in Canada last year, and there was a few... Uh, grocery store chain CEOs on that list. If anything, not a good look at this particular time. No, optics aren't great. And uh, so when you look at, uh, of course, uh, when you look at the list of CEOs earning uh, earning money, grocers tend not to be uh, at the top of the list. Uh, they do make good money. And, and I'll be honest with you, I actually do think that uh, grocery stores uh, or uh, or gross, grocery companies uh, companies are actually well managed uh, by competent folks, but sometimes I cr- scratch my head. I'm not sure they they're reading the room properly. I mean, they're giving out bonuses without really acknowledging what they're doing with employees, uh, benefits, uh, the kinds of things they're doing with uh, with food banks, for example. In December, I showed up in Ottawa to testify before Parliament as part of the food inflation investigation. I showed up, but none of the CEOs did show up. They just sent in their financial experts. I I don't think that was that was a good decision to make for them. Uh, optics aren't good, so I think it's important for grocers to really show empathy. Uh, towards Canadians uh, who are really struggling at the grocery store. I absolutely agree. Dr. Charlebois, thank you for your time this morning. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Huge day in Buffalo. 
were underway as New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. Jim Nance, the call on CBS and CTV. The Buffalo Bills and, well, really the rest of the NFL returned to the field this past weekend since Damar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and collapsed on the field last Monday night. One week ago tonight, uh, we were shocked and we were saddened and we were worried about how he was going to do. Well, with each passing day this week, there was some progress. So much so that over the weekend, Damar's tube was taken out. He was FaceTiming and Zooming with his teammates and they responded with a 35-23 win over New England. And really the response across the league and across the country and across the continent has been outstanding. There was uh, many individuals at High Park Stadium yesterday in Buffalo, including our next guest, Amar Khan, reporter with Global News, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Amar, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Oh, my bo- my voice is a little gone and a little hoarse, but uh, <laughs> I think that that was expected. Now, Amar, are you a Bills fan? I'm actually not a Bills fan. I'm I'm a I'm a football fan. Um, I, I cheer for the Colts, but uh, they're having a bit of a lousy season. Uh, and uh, it was my brother-in-law's birthday, so I bought these tickets in advance, like almost a month ago. Uh, he's a huge Patriots fan, and. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to see the Patriots lose, and uh, it just it just so happened with all the stuff from last week with Demar Hamlin and really the whole league rallying behind this team. Uh, it became a really special event to be at. We just played the audio clip of the opening kickoff of the game, first play since Demar's injury, and Naheem Hines takes the ball for a 96-yard touchdown. What's going on in the stadium? Um, I so. Every person that we talk to uh, walking up, whether that's, you know, we're, we're parking our car or we're talking to the border guard or whoever it is, that they're just so enthusiastic about how special of a day today is and how today feels different. Uh, there's a smile on everyone's face to know that, you know, football's back, but this one feels a bit different. This one feels like it's for tomorrow. Uh, and this season now feels like it's four in the bar. And uh, as we're, you know, getting down to our seats and every person we're talking to, they're just, they're really expressing how much they care uh, about, uh, you know, Tamar Hamlin and, and how they're so happy that he's doing well. So we're getting down to our seats and the we're, we're sitting and the kickoff happens. And, you know, there's just like a little pause because, I think there's still fear and trepidation in the air of what's going to happen when that first collision happens. And and, and I think there's that angst and uh, that trepidation all throughout. And as it happens, you just see Naheem Hines break one to kind of get loose and the entire stadium collectively just feel like this is special. And this moment here, um, it's, it's hard to explain, Rick, but it really felt like it meant to be. It was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Like they deserved this one snap of football, one play, 
um, where they collectively just got to forget about the horde stuff and, you know, celebrate together and, and, uh, you know, jumping up, uh, Naheem Hines, you know, them putting up the threes for DeMar Hamlin, people breaking down and just crying throughout the stadium. Like it was, it was happiness. It was joy, but it was also just like, uh, a bit of relief at the same time because it's a violent sport. It really is, but, uh, it's a sport that's loved by many people. Amar Khan is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, reporter with Global News. We've got about a minute just to talk about the number three. It seemed to be everywhere. Shirts, hats on the field, signs in the crowd. People were really showing their love yesterday. Absolutely. every Everywhere you'd see it was DeMar Hamlin. Every person that you wanted to see, it was DeMar Hamlin. Uh, there was just DeMar Hamlin chants, or we love you, DeMar, every time people would would. Anything the Bills would do, anything uh, of significance. So uh, he he's heavy on the mind, and I think it's uh, I think this season, and I think the rest of whatever they do, um, the spirit of Demar Hamlin, right? Uh, thankfully, he's still with us, but the spirit of him uh, will has invigorated this team, and I think what's happened will will really ride with Buffalo the rest of the way here. I agree, and uh, we can't wait to see DeMar uh, back uh, standing again with the team, maybe not necessarily playing this year, but that uh, first encounter with many of his teammates one-on-one face-to-face is going to be outstanding. Amar, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for chiming in. Thanks, Rick. Amar Khan, reporter with Global News at yesterday's Bills-Patriots game in Buffalo. What an atmosphere it was. Um, NFL playoffs beginning this coming weekend. Bills will be in action. They're hosting the Miami Dolphins, their AFC East arch rival. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, as you know, the housing market here in Hamilton has been pretty wild and wacky over the last number of years. 2020 with the pandemic, certainly in the summer and fall, it was boom time. It was all of 2021 for that matter as well. And in the early part of 2022, we saw a lot of activity, but it has quite slowed down over the last three quarters mainly due to high inflation, thus high interest rates, not a lot of homes on the market. What's going to happen in 2023? Well, let's ask our good friend Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. Rob, good morning. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Good, good, thanks. Have a, had a good weekend, nice and restful. Excellent. When you look in your crystal ball for 2023, what are some of the things that are you you are seeing? Um, I, I do think that um, we pretty well, I think, bottom, bottomed out with the uh, housing prices that uh, that come down in the uh, three quarters that we had in 2022. And in uh, 2020, this year now, I do think that the new buyers coming into the market are basing their purchase on the interest rates the way they are. So they're not going to feel it as much because they're buying based at today's interest rates. Now, but the people that purchase you know, a year or two ago, especially early this year, and if they didn't lock in on a mortgage rate, the great mortgage rates we had earlier, they're, they're feeling the pinch quite a bit. And their mortgage rates, let's say if they had a half million dollar mortgage on their house and uh, on a three-year, let's say a three-year fixed with uh, the interest rates, they're, they're at 5.59, their mortgage would be about 3078 a month. But, if at, but at 2.59 earlier, last year or the year before, there's an $800 difference. So 
consumer spending is going to be less uh, for those people that have their mortgages being renewed. So, yes, uh, the economy is going to slow down, but there is still a shortage of products out there. So I don't know if anybody's going to be laid off, but I do think uh, we're going to go through kind of a flat line for probably, uh, I'd say, two to two to uh, six months, and then it, things will pick back up. But it just needs we're just in a readjustment. But I don't think the only people who are going to really feel this economic downturn are the large corporations that sell products like Amazon and Costco. They're going to notice that there's not as much people buying as much. They're going to feel the pinch, but I don't feel that there'll be as many layoffs uh, as uh, mo- most recessions are. In 2020, and certainly in 2021, the, the supply-demand issue was massive, and it left many people on the sidelines. In the later half of 2022, it was those you know, inflation interest rates, the, the big factor in keeping many people kind of on the sideline thinking, all right, where are we going here? Do you see the supply issue or the interest rate issue being the bigger factor in 2023? I, I think the supply issue, uh, w- w- this is the new norm. This is the norm. And actually, we got so spoiled with the interest rates before. I don't think the interest rate's going to be a factor as much. The, it's just the housing supply. Now, uh, you know, people are still a little bit of unsure. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a, a shortage because a lot of houses were coming off the market towards the end of last year. I do believe there is going to be an abundance of buyers coming into the marketplace at the end of this month or they're starting soon because now kids are back to school now. We're going back to a normal kind of, uh, you know, living without people coming back from vacations from the, from the holidays. Um, I do feel that we'll be, you know, the market is just going to be balanced, normal. It's not going to be fast-paced like it was in the last couple of years where people were just, you know, going crazy and, and trying to, you know, bidding against multiple offers and, and, and out, trying to outbid each other and, and people were getting fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 more for their house. You're not going to see that as much. You will start, you will see a little bit of multiple offers in this spring market, but not as aggressive as it was in the past. And uh, I, I, I truly feel that uh, um, this will be a normal balanced year. Yes, there is some economic uh, issues, you know, with, uh, with, you know, I don't think there's going to be high un- unemployment there is a, 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 a decrease in business and consumer spending, decreased in, in the stock prices. Yes, that's kind of the thing. Decreased in housing prices. Yes, I think we flatlined uh, on, the, on the housing prices there in uh, all of Canada. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax's Cartman Realty, the Golfie team. Recession is looming. We know that the supply issue is still a thing. Uh, on Saturday's Golfy Real Estate Show here on CHML, we also talked about a three-day cooling-off period in BC. It's going to be interesting to see how that works there. But you're not a big fan of bringing it here to Ontario. I, I think it, it could cause a lot of problems. The three-day cooling-off period, especially in a fast market, you're going to find investors are going to be putting offers on ten different properties at the same time, and they because now, now they they can walk away and they can go in high on offers. And if they change their mind during that three cooling off period, they can try to renegotiate or walk away. So now the second best offer or third best offer would have been perfect, but now those buyers are gone. And to get them back, they're not going to come in at the same price. So in order to combat that, now you're going to have to accept two or three offers on every multiple representation, every, every offer presentation 
that happens out there. And, and th- there's a lot of issues. Anytime you change something, you know, they're trying to make this good for the buyer, but it's, it's not really good for the seller with this three-day three, uh, cooling-off period. But I understand they're trying to control the market. They're trying to have not uh, buyers end up buying something and regret it. I get it. It's, it's understandable. But you're going to see the dynamics and how offers are done are going to be totally changed uh, if they bring it to Ontario. If you're looking to buy your home or sell yours, you got to go and get the Golfie team on your side. RobGolfie.com is the website. Rob, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Rick. Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So the Ontario government, each and every year, puts out a list um, various lists. We have, uh, I'm not sure if the government does this, but baby names. You recall each and every year the uh, top baby names that are registered are released. They also do this with vanity license plates. You've, you've seen these things around. Some of them are quite comical. Some of them you just can't quite make out. It's like a, a game of bumper stumpers. Remember that old TV game show? What is that license plate supposed to mean? I don't know. Well, the um, the province is out with a list of rejected vanity license plates for 2022. If you're interested in a personalized plate, costs about $310 or more, I guess, depending on how many characters you have at Service Ontario. But be careful what you want displayed on your plate because it can't include, and for good reason, obscene language or references to sex, drugs, alcohol, religion, politics, uh, law enforcement, the list goes on and on. So they uh, they released a list of vanity plates that were rejected in 2022, and I thought for a good laugh, at least, on a Monday morning, we can go through some of these rejected plates. I also have a list of pretty funny license plates, vanity plates, primarily in the U.S. I guess their laws are a little more lax than what we have here in Ontario. Uh, so when it comes to obscene language, here are some of the plates in Ontario that were rejected last year. 2020 WTF. That was a no-no. Although, you know, I, I think the person who wanted this plate certainly had the right frame of mind because 2020 was certainly a write-off. Uh, here's another one. Five hit, although the five is supposed to be an S. Uh, there's one that is FK. Trump can make the conclusion on that. Uh, here's one that I thought was pretty creative, but I guess it falls under the obscene language category. I hate 401. And that person was speaking for millions of people because who who does like the 401? I wonder if they had I like 401, if that would have passed. Probably. Uh, here's another one that was rejected on the list of rejected vanity plates here in Ontario in 2022. Sexy ASF. And I can't really say what the ASF is. <laughs> There's another one, uh, S-H-I-T, and then show. But show is S-H-O. So creative. Well, seven characters, but uh, nope, a big no-no on that. Uh, there's also a category when it comes to the clarity of a license plate. So if a police officer, for instance, cannot make out what exactly the plate is, then that's a big no-no. So consecutive letters, it seems, is is a no-go zone, including burr, B with, it looks like, seven R's, six, seven R's. 
Uh, that is not allowed. Game over. O is a Q instead of an O. That was not allowed. Uh, I'm Batman. And the number four is the substitute for the letter A. Again, creative, but uh, a big no-no. Not for sale. Not the number four, and instead of an S, had the number five. So not 45 ale. You might think that. What's a not 45 ale? Oh, not for sale. Another one that was rejected was sorry with uh, one, two, three, four, five R's. That, again, not allowed. In the drug alcohol category on vanity license plates that were rejected here in Ontario, a big X beside 0420, beer to go, the number two, beer to go, buy weed, my pill, and so high, and I guess so high there's two H's at the end. I guess that's sky high. Political figures that were given a big no-no with personalized plates here in Ontario. Trumped one, trumped in the number one, Mr. COVID, and CNN lies. There's also a religious category. You cannot have anything to do with religion on your personalized license plate. Some of the examples that were X'd out from hell, from with a U, uh, also, Merry Christmas, although this was Merry Xmas and one R in Merry. Uh, also, personalized plates were rejected. Uh, this one here, one big willy. Another one, a wee wee. This one says your mama. And for the violence category, gangster, uh, the letter three is substituted by the number three. So all big no-nos. Uh, found some pretty amusing vanity plates online. Including a couple pickup trucks, this must be a couple, or maybe a couple of brothers, I don't know. Two pickup trucks parked side by side, one is black, the other one is white. And I'm not sure they're actually the same family, because the two license plates are from different states, it appears. But one license plate says, I am sad. I guess allowed in that state. The other one, right beside the other pickup truck, says, why you sad? <laughs> what are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? Another vanity license plate. This one's kind of cool. It's a Texas license plate, and it just says, is big. But when you see the plate, it has Texas on the top, and then the license plate is, is big. Texas is big. Another one says, people suck. PPL suck. I guess that's allowed. I'm not sure what state that is in. It looks like a Massachusetts license plate. Uh, here's another one from Texas. They're pretty lenient in Texas with personalized license plates. You covid E.W. COVID. You, you can't argue with that one. Uh, here's another one of Michigan football fan for sure. The license plate is just double E, double O, double W. But because they're a Michigan Wolverines football fan, there is the letter M for the University of Michigan. And so the plate spells meow. Now that is creative. Here's another one. Delete FB in Virginia. Uh, another one in the uh, SMS world, U-G-H-I-D-K. <laughs> a lot of people are saying these days. I really had a favorite, and I'm scrolling down to it. Uh, there's one that says, as if. That's a good one. Uh, here's, here's my favorite. It is a white Ford Bronco, and the license plate is simply not OJ. 
That's a good one. That one wins the day. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.